All right, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, go ahead and have them open to Psalm 136. During the summers, we make our way through the Psalms, so that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. And uh, you're going to need your Bible as we do Psalm 136 because we're going to do some interactive reading as we go through this. And this is an amazing Psalm. It's all about moving us to worship God because of His great love for us. And so I just want to ask you, do you ever doubt if God loves you? Do you ever wonder about God's love for you? Well, this psalm is meant to bring comfort to our soul. It's meant that we would taste and see and enjoy the very beauty of God's love. And that's what I pray happens today as we go through this psalm. And so uh, this is a psalm that most likely uh, the priest would have stood before the people. He would have read a line and then the rest of the people would have responded with the words, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what you're going to see is that phrase occurs 26 times. So I'm going to read uh, one of the lines and then I want you, yes, even you in your living room to read out for his steadfast love endures forever. Because only by doing that are we going to get the effect of what this psalm is meant to accomplish. So here we go. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who, al who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who loved his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Oh Father, we just we praise you. For your steadfast love endures forever. Oh, I pray that we would know that truth today. 
Lord, I pray as we make our way through this psalm that our hearts would truly be comforted by the fact that you are a God who loves. And you don't love the way that we love and the way that we define love in this world, but you love in a perfectly pure, steadfast, loyal, gracious, and merciful way. And I pray today that our hearts are made well as we look at your word. God, strengthen us today. Move us to praise and worship and thanksgiving because of your steadfast love that endures forever. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to dig right in. And the first thing that I want us to see is that we are commanded to give praise to God. If you look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 26, they all command us to give thanks. Now, why? Why are we to give thanks? Well, the answer is obvious. You said it. I read it 26 times. For his steadfast love endures forever. So we need to pause for a moment and ask, what is God's steadfast love? Well, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is the word hesed. It appears over 240 times in the Old Testament. It can refer to relationship between, uh, between two people, but the majority of time it refers to God's relationship with his covenant people, with Israel. It, um, in fact, when God brings Israel out of Egypt and he, make, he makes a covenant with them on the basis of his Hesed of his steadfast love. This love is never simply an abstract feeling, but it always entails intentional actions towards one another. In fact, Paul Miller said this. He's a Christian author, and he helpfully defined Hesed as love and commitment. So the idea here is that when we're looking at this Hesed love, we're looking at the steadfast love of God, his loyal love. It's God's, this is a psalm that's all about God's commitment to always act for the good of his people. And the loyal, steadfast love is meant to move us, to move you and me to joy and praise and thanksgiving. And so the natural question would be is, so what or how has God revealed this hesed, his steadfast love? Or we could ask it in another way, uh, what are reasons that we have to be thankful? And so the author gives us three reasons, at least in this text. Uh, we have creation in verses 4 through 9, salvation in verses 10 through 15, and then we have this wilderness theme in verses 16 through 25. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at these one at a time. But it's important to understand the author is not just giving us a history lesson. He's not just simply recounting the history of Israel, but rather he's wanting us to understand the formation and the preservation of his people through the lens of God's steadfast love. He's helping us to know that all that God has done for us is out of his hesed, out of his steadfast love. And so let's look at these one at a time. We begin with creation. Creation is evidence of God's love. So what this means, as we begin to look at this, we, we have to realize creation is not just creation. God did not simply create 
for the purpose of creating, but God created with the purpose of making a space, of making a place where those who are made in his image would live and enjoy his steadfast love. In fact, I want to read just one text from Paul uh, who wrote much of the New Testament in his letter from Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right, so we're not going to get all into election and predestination today. But what this text tells us is that before creation, before the foundations of the earth were laid, God has a plan. And his plan is that he's going to create a people who are going to be made in his image, and he's going to adopt them through Jesus Christ. And because of the New Testament, we know that means by Jesus coming and dying at the cross and rising three days later. And so God has a purpose. He's going to create a people who will be adopted through Jesus Christ, who will forever enjoy his steadfast love, who will worship him and experience his blessings. So the purpose of God in creating creation is to make a space that you and I, those who believe in Jesus, that we would live in. You see, uh, Psalm 136, it's not about just simply praising God for his might and his power that's displayed in creation. There are other texts that speak about that. Like Psalm 19. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So there are psalms, and there's texts that, that look at creation and just simply burst out in praise because of His might and His power and His creativity and His wisdom. But here, this is a psalm that praises God for making the heavens, the earth, the moon, the stars, as the outworking of his love for his people. So how do we know that? Because every single line ends with, for his steadfast love endures forever. This means that when we look at oak trees, redwoods, and evergreens, we're looking at God's steadfast love. When we look at Tulips and roses and daisies, we're seeing God's love. When we look at butterflies and eagles and bears and crazy animals like platypuses, we're looking at God's steadfast love. Maybe think of it like this. As a, as a husband would give flowers or, or a diamond to his wife as the display of his love. So God has created this beautiful, wondrous creation as a means of giving it so that you and I would dwell in it, so we would forever experience His perfect, steadfast, loyal love. Now you might say, what about all the disease and destruction that we see in creation? I mean, it doesn't always look wondrous. Well, that's true. 
And this is why we read in Revelation 21 and 22 that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring about a new heavens and new earth, meaning he's going to create a new creation. And this creation is going to last forever and it will never be stained with sin. And you say, well, what are we going to do in this new perfect creation, never to experience disease, destruction, or any type of problems? Well, in Revelation 22, verse, uh, verse 3, it says, we'll worship God forever. We will forever enjoy His steadfast love, His wondrous blessings. We'll be in awe of Him as we worship Him. And so that is the first one that we have here, where we see that creation is the demonstration of God's love. Next, we go to verses 10 through 15, where we see salvation is evidence of God's love. Now, in verses 10 through 15, we read about what is called the Exodus. This is where God brought Israel out of Egypt. Um, Israel was in bondage to Egypt. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And so God brings them out. Now, notice how the psalmist speaks of God in this section. Notice how, uh, the actions that God takes here. Verse 10, God strikes down the firstborn of Egypt. Verse 11, God brought Israel out of Egypt. Verse 12, God rescued them with his hand. Verse 13, God divided the Red Sea in two. Verse 14, God brought Israel through the Red Sea. Verse 15, God crushed Egypt through and his army in the Red Sea. Now, I just want you to think about it. what stands out in those verses. What do we learn about God? What we learn is that God saved Israel. Israel was enslaved to Egypt. They were powerless and unable to resist and overcome Egypt. But God was abundantly sufficient to overcome them. And why did he do this? For his steadfast love endures forever. You see, hundreds of years earlier, if we go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 12 and chapter 15 and chapter 17, we read that God chooses a man named Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, from Abraham, he's going to create a people who will be his very own, who will worship him and enjoy him. And as we go through the book of, um, of Genesis, we're following the line of Abraham, where you have Abraham, then Isaac, then we have Jacob, then we have these 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes are the people of Israel. And one of the things God tells Abraham, says your people will be enslaved in a foreign country for 400 years. And then he's going to come and he's going to save them. So when we come to the book of Exodus and God brings his people out of, out of Egypt, this is a demonstration of God's faithfulness, of his loyal, steadfast love. He told Abraham he's going to do it. Because God is always steadfast in his love, he's faithful. And 400 years later, in the book of Exodus, we see that God does that. Now, what is most important about the Exodus is that it is a picture of a far greater salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, in the New Testament, we read that we are slaves to sin. We read that we're in bondage to our sin, and we have no ability to escape this sin. In fact, what we read throughout the New Testament, in fact, all of the Bibles, that we love our sin. 
It says that our minds are darkened and that all we want to do is sin. And therefore, we rebel and we resist God. But this is then what we read in Colossians chapter 2. This is Colossians 2 verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, when it says that we were dead in our sins, what that means is that we were slaves to sin. We had no spiritual life, meaning we do not have eternal life. God is not in us. We do not love him. And the, and the punishment of that, the result of living a life of sin is to experience the wrath of God. And that's why God sent his son Jesus, that he would come and free us from the bonds of our sin, free us from slavery to sin, that he would, that he would take care of the debt that we owe through the death of his son Jesus Christ, that we'd be forgiven so that you and I who believe in Jesus would be able to forever experience his steadfast love, that we would know Jesus and we would live for him. And why does God do this? Why did he send his son Jesus? For his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, if you go to the book of 1 John, it's towards the end of the New Testament, and this is what John writes. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest, meaning this is how God reveals his love that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Hear this, the sending of Jesus Christ into this world, that he would go to the cross, die on the cross, paying for your sins and my sins, and then rising three days later is the demonstration of God's hesed, of his steadfast love, so that you and I would know that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we would have ever lasting life. The psalmist is reminding us that the only reason we are saved is by the gracious and merciful, steadfast, loyal love of our God. He's reminding us that apart, apart from God, we cannot be rescued. We'd still be enslaved to Egypt. We'd still be enslaved to the sins of this world. Do you know this? The only hope we have in this world is God's love. We cannot save ourselves by our strength, by our abilities, by our resources. The only hope we have is God's steadfast love. Next we have is this wilderness theme that we see in verses 16 through 25. And the wilderness is also evidence of God's love. In verses 16 through 25, we read about Israel going into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is the time in between the exodus and when Israel would go into the promised land, the land that God was providing for them. So Israel was supposed to go into the promised land right away. After God brought Israel out of Egypt, they were supposed to go into the promised land, but because they sinned against him, because they rebelled against God, God took them on a detour through the wilderness for 40 years. And so this wilderness became a time of testing. God was teaching his people that they should depend upon his steadfast love. He was teaching them that he would protect them. He was teaching them that he was going to provide for them. He was teaching them that they can trust in him at 
all times. And so during Israel's wilderness time, they faced hunger, they faced thirst, they faced enemy nations that wanted to try to come and destroy them. In fact, in verses 17 and 18, we read that God struck down great and mighty kings. We read about uh, Og and also, let's see, it's Og and Bashan and Sion from the king of the Amorites. And these mighty nations, God strikes them down and then gives Israel their land. So why does he do this? Why is it God was protecting them? Why is it God provided for them? For his steadfast love endures forever. Everything God does for his people is out of his great love. And let us remember that just as the Exodus was a picture of the much greater salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, so the wilderness also pictures a greater reality also. You see, in the New Testament, the church is compared to Israel wandering in the wilderness. We see that in Corinthians. We see it in, in the book of Hebrews. In fact, in Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that the wilderness time of Israel serves as an example for us today that we would not sin and act as they do. You see, the wilderness, remember this, the wilderness is the time in between salvation, their exodus, and the promised land. And for us today, we live in between the two comings of Jesus Christ. At the first coming of Jesus, he died on the cross and rose again three days later. And Jesus is going to come again at the end of time where he will bring all who have believed in him, all who have trusted him into the new promised land, into the new heavens and new earth. And so the time in between these comings is what is known as this wilderness time, this church age. Or if you're familiar with the book of Peter, Peter will call us exiles in this world. But here's the point. The age that we live in, just like Israel, is a time in which God is building our faith. He's strengthening our faith. He's wanting you and I to know that in whatever situation we are in, that we can trust in God, that he'll provide for the needs that we have, that he is faithful. And why does he do this? Because his steadfast love endures forever. The hope we have is God's love. Just as God preserved Israel in the wilderness, so he promises that he'll preserve you and I as well today. And God does this not because of our power, not because of our prestige, not because of our position, in fact, look at verse 23 in Psalm 136. It says, God remembers us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, God remembers us and loves us and delights in helping us because of his love. Not because of anything intrinsic with us. Not because of our worth. Not because of our might. In fact, in the Gospels, which the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the book of John, chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the people, and this is what he says. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Do you see the marvelous truths contained in these verses? Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, everyone who believes Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that He is the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of God, that he would become man like you and I, and he would die on a cross, paying the punishment for our sins, rising three days later, proving that he's victorious over sin and death. He says, if you believe in me, all who come to me will never be cast out, and I promise they will be raised on the last day. Now, why? Why can we trust him? Why do we know that that promise is true? For his steadfast love endures forever. Look, a temptation that you and I and that we face in this world is to often try to define the word love as the world would define it. You see, the world, in the world, love is fickle. It's like on this emotional little roller coaster. We love someone as long as they meet our needs, share our political views, our social views. As long as they don't make life too difficult, we'll love people or put up with people. But once they no longer meet our needs, once they now take a social or political position different than us, we're ready to cut them off completely from our lives. This is why so many marriages are ending in divorce. This is why there's so many broken families and hurt relationships. But what we need to understand is that all those relationships, all that worldly love is a perversion of the true steadfast love of God. You see, God is perfectly faithful and unwavering in His love. This is why we can trust in His word. He's not like a teenager, you know, has these emotional temper tantrums that just kind of go up and down, but rather he's like a strong anchor. He's immovable and completely and absolutely trustworthy. It's this that the psalmist wants us to know. It's this truth that he has placed before us in creation, in salvation, in the wilderness, that he's saying, our God, has demonstrated his love from the very beginning of time. And he wants us to see that and to know that. But we can't forget the purpose. It's not just so that we would see God's steadfast love, but it's so that it would move us to praise and to worship and thanksgiving. Moves us to our last point. Theology moves our hearts to overflow with thanksgiving. I I can't... I can't underestimate or uh, understate, I'm getting confused here. I can't say enough how important it is as a Christian for you and I to dig into the very word of God, for us to be theologians, for us to know who God is, for it's as we know who God is. And so as we grow in understanding of God, it will grow in our joy and our thankfulness of God. Don't ever think that theology is only for pastors or missionaries or or some select group of people. If you are a Christian, 
you have been saved and given the Spirit of God that you would know God. And the primary way we do that is by digging deep into God's Word each and every day. I want you to look at, look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heavens. The purpose of this psalm is to kindle a fire of praise in our hearts. He's not just telling us what God has done. It is so that you and I would have a heart full of praise to God. Now, my kids... One of the things we love to do, especially during the summer, is to have uh, little fires in our backyard, around our fire pit, and to do s'mores. And in the beginning, my kids love getting all the s'more stuff out and be ready to make s'mores. But now, as they're getting a little older, they don't just like making the s'mores, but they like making the fire. So it does create some interesting stories at times and some, some fun little obstacles that we've encountered when we allow the kids to make the fire. But... But, when they, but what they learned was in the beginning, they would go get a, a, a large piece of wood and they'd just put it in the middle of the fire pit. And they were like ready to throw matches at it. And then they get disappointed when it doesn't just burst into flames. And so what we had to do is we had to learn that in order to have a large roaring fire, we start with small sticks, small twigs and sticks that were able to light and they're able to catch fire and burn and burn. And we keep placing these little sticks on there over and over as the fire grows bigger and bigger and bigger. That then we can put a log on it. And it's going to catch fire and burn. I want you to think of this psalm as the individual sticks that help create that roaring fire. As we add each line, our praise gets brighter and hotter. So that by the end of the psalm. We're overwhelmed with the heat of God's love and we're bursting forth into praise. Let me ask you, have you experienced that? Are you experiencing that right now? Is your heart full of thankfulness because of God's perfect steadfast love and kindness for you? Do you know that? I think often as Christians, we struggle with experiencing joy. And thankfulness because we expect it to happen just like placing a giant log in, in a fire pit we expect it just to burn so how is it that we grow in our joy and thankfulness how is it that that we do what the psalmist is calling us to do that we'd be bounding forth in thankfulness to God for a steadfast love well let me just show what the psalmist is doing here the psalmist is reminding us of God's love that he has demonstrated for us in the past. He's reminding us of God's steadfast love. And one thing we see all throughout the Old Testament is that when Israel forgets about what God has done for them, when they forget God's steadfast love, they always move to sin and rebellion. In fact, I encourage you, go read chapter 78 of the book of Psalm. Read Psalm 78. And notice what it says when they forget what God has done. They always move to sin and rebellion. This is why when we go through the Bible, like, like in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing Israel to go into the promised land. You know what we read over and over and over in Deuteronomy? Remember, 
Remember, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus, remember what God has done for you. He's always calling us to remember God's past acts of love as a means of of helping them to remember God's faithfulness and love that they would continue to trust in Him. In fact, when King David brought brought the Ark of the Covenant into uh, Jerusalem, he burst forth into praise. And notice what he does. This is 1 Corinthians 16. He says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell all of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and judgments He uttered. David cries out, give thanks to God. Very same thing that the psalmist is doing. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Now, how? How is it we're going to do that, David? What is the means in which we're going to, to give this praise to God? And notice what he says. Make known his deeds. Tell of his wondrous works. Remember the wondrous things that he has done. Everything David is saying is look back. Remember the exodus. Remember the wilderness. Remember all of God's steadfast love that he has done for you. My, my grandma, as she was... Um, as she was nearing death. She had a stroke, and for the last 12 years of her life, she she really wasn't able to move very much. But here's the thing that she said over and over and over was, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross. What was she doing? In essence, she was saying, remember the steadfast love of God. Remember the steadfast love of God. Remember the steadfast love of God. If you ever doubt, does God love you? If you ever wonder, is God there for me? If you ever wonder, can I really trust in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him? Can can I trust in these promises? Is God faithful? Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Because the cross is the greatest salvific moment. In all of history, it's the greatest display of God's love. In the Old Testament, it was always, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus. Because in the Old Testament, the Exodus was the foretaste of the much greater reality that comes in Jesus Christ. So the way that we know God's perfect and great steadfast love is by looking back in the past. It's by looking back through God's word and seeing, over and over and over again, how he has demonstrated his steadfast love, especially going to where we see Jesus dying on the cross. After all, all of the letters in the New Testament all look back to the cross and point out the implications for life based upon what Jesus has done. The way that you and I foster this heart of thanksgiving, of this joy, is by looking back at God's past acts of steadfast love. In fact, let me say this. If we fail to remember all the ways God has loved us, we will inevitably begin to think that all we possess and all that we have accomplished is by our power and our ability. Do you understand that? We'll actually push God out of the picture. 
But let me ask you, if you're a believer, do you remember when you came to know Christ? Do you remember how there were so many conversations that led to that moment when you fully knew that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior? And since you've become a Christian, can you look back and can you see all the ways that God has demonstrated His perfect, steadfast love in your life? How He's provided for you? How He's given you grace and mercy? How He's given you patience? How He's persevered you in difficulty? How He's given you grace in those times of anxiety? How He said, you can trust in me over and over and over again, always proving His perfect, steadfast, loyal love. Do you remember those times? I want to encourage you. If we're going to be a people full of praise, full of thanksgiving, it's going to be as we remember the God of the Bible, as we remember what God has done for us. And so we can do that many ways. One is by knowing the Word of God. And that is first and foremost, by coming in to God's Word on a daily basis. Every time we read this Word, we are being reminded of God's love. We're being reminded that before the foundations of the world, God had chosen to create a people for His own possession who would forever live with Him. And every page as we make our way through this Bible is demonstrating God's steadfast love through the accomplishment of His purposes that one day when Jesus Christ returns, He will gather a bride, the church, who will forever live with Him in a new heavens and new earth, forever enjoying His steadfast love. So I encourage you, be in the Word. Every time you pick up the Word, you are looking at God's steadfast love. Also, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to begin journaling, writing down the very things that God does in your life celebrating what God has done. In fact, I'll tell you this. The first few times you try to journal out all the things that you see that God doing in your life, it's going to be very hard because we haven't thought this way. But as you begin to practice this and begin to look at how has God displayed His steadfast love in my life, you're going to see it more and more and more. So I want to encourage you journaling. And then I want to encourage you share those journals with others. When you get together with other men and women, share with them what God has done in your life. For we are called to encourage one another. And when we come alongside one another and we encourage them how God is working in our life, how He has demonstrated His steadfast love, we're reminding one another of God's perfect, steadfast love. In fact, that is one of the reasons we need to be gathering right now. I encourage you so much. I can't even encourage you enough. We need to gather as a church. If you are not gathering with other believers in this time of COVID, well, I'm just going to say you need to be gathering. It's a command that we have in Scripture. There's a grace that's involved in it, and you and I need it. We need that grace where God's people come together and we encourage one another with the very truths of God's perfect, steadfast love. Let me also say this. I know that we often wrestle with, with evangelism and sharing the gospel and we go, man, I want to share the gospel more, but, but I struggle. What do you think is going to happen as we continually go over 
the Bible, reminding ourselves of his steadfast love. As we look through our own lives and we remind ourselves of the steadfast love of God in our hearts. Well, what we know is going to happen is that our hearts are going to be kindled to this praise, bursting forth with this, this fire of praise and thanksgiving to God. And, and what do you think is going to happen when our hearts are full of joy and thanksgiving to God? Well, we know that what's in our heart comes out. And if our hearts are full of thanksgiving and joy, then when we're in our relationships in this world, with those at work, our neighbors, wherever we're at, the thing that's going to be spilling over in every conversation is our love and joy for God. So I want to encourage you, as the psalmist has done, let us give thanks to God. Let us be a people that give thanks to God for His steadfast love endures forever. And the way we do that, first and foremost, we come into His Word. We look at His past actions. We go to the cross. We remember the cross. And I encourage you, look at our own lives on how God continues each and every day to display His steadfast love. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you. Father, you are a great and marvelous God, and you are gracious and merciful, and you have demonstrated your, your steadfast, loyal love. And for that, we praise you, God. We praise you that you have loved us perfectly. And so, Father, just pray for those who are, are listening to this right now that we would know that we would know this steadfast love. And if anyone has not trusted in you, I pray they would trust in you today. They would trust in you and begin experiencing your steadfast love. In your name, Jesus, amen.